On ABC Radio, you are with Rod Quinn, and it's now time to go to Boston. Boston. She hasn't picked up that Boston accent yet. Celeste Catmaston is with us. Celeste, good morning to you. I'll try it. Good morning. Good good morning. Have you uh, parked (laughs) your car in the Harvard Yard? I have not. I am I am uh, proudly retaining my equally horrible New York accent oh. for the time being. Have you been to Harvard, Cambridge, over to Cambridge? Yeah, actually, we walked past there uh, just recently, went out and had dinner, strolled around uh, Harvard Square, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's uh, uh, busy. Things are, are getting back to normal, not completely. You still have to wear a mask inside and observe distancing, but uh, there is life. Yeah. Well, next time you're there, go to the Hong Kong Chinese restaurant, okay, and order... Ah, home of the Scorpion Bowl, right? Oh, is that right? Oh, my God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> it was home of, uh, like, underground radicals, I know that, in, like, in the 60s, I'm fairly sure. But order the uh, wontons, and I'll tell you what, they are the best in the world. They are fantastic, Celeste. Really? Oh, okay, yeah. I'll check it out. Well, I don't want to disappoint you. Maybe you're not a wonton fan, but I tell you, <laughs> they 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 also they provide an ample number of wontons. Uh, hmm. Hey, by the way, forty years ago, and that's a long time ago. Forty years ago, do you remember? Did you watch Charles and Di's wedding? Yeah, I remember my uh, my mother, my sister, and a, a bunch of my cousins. I feel like we had to wake up at like four in the morning or something. Right. Um, yeah. And our time, yeah, and we I remember watching that on television. It was a, a very big deal. It was. I, I do remember that. At eight o'clock at night on the east coast of Australia, and even earlier, of course, on the west coast of Australia. So it was perfectly timed for us. It was prime time TV. I mean, it's forty years ago. Like you wonder, like, but so much has happened in those forty years, especially for Charles and Di. But I mean, you try and tell young people today how big that was. I mean, you know how big the Royals are now. That was just the biggest thing in the century, wasn't it? Oh, it was a, a huge deal. I think that uh, lots of little girls imagined themselves, you know, becoming princesses and walking down the aisle. And this, I just remember the the train. I think they had to have like a crane shot or <laughs> yes. something to show the the length of the the train of her gown. And it was it, it was it was sort of magical. It was indeed. Okay, now we know there are many, many, many problems in the United States, but one of the biggest ones is the opioid addiction problem, which is throughout the the country. Um, What's being done about it and what now have uh, various state attorneys general and state governments come to terms with? Can you give us a brief, I know it's a very complicated subject, but a brief outline of what the problem is and what's going to happen now? Yeah, I mean, basically, as as you say, there are there are many many people, unfortunately, who have become terribly addicted to opioid prescription opioid drugs, uh, and have died of of addiction and overdose. And so, uh, rather than all the states suing the manufacturers uh, separately, a bunch of them have come together to reach uh, something like a twenty six billion dollar settlement with the companies that manufactured and pushed these drugs. Um, so it's not all settled up yet, but this this is sort of a, a major turning point. Uh, supposedly, it is the most complicated 
legal settlement uh, in American history. Uh, lots of moving parts, but hopefully this will go some little way towards compensating people for the the destruction that has been wrought by uh, people getting hooked on these on these uh, drugs, on these painkilling drugs. But it's not just the fact that these people were prescribed painkilling medication and then took it and became addicted to it, but the companies, the drug companies themselves, just flooded. Uh, some especially rural areas with these drugs and the drugs became just impossible not to get really you didn't need a prescription you just went and bought them and you some chemists or some stores were dispensing hundreds of thousands a week it's just a horrendous story yeah it's it's shocking when you think about uh, how much access people had and so easily there, and there were uh there were doctors or there were druggists as you say who basically made this their whole business selling these pills they're called they even had a name they were called pill mills and uh, people just had access to enormous quantities. I mean, you think about it when you get sick and you get prescriptions, you know, you get a bottle of pills, you take them for a couple of weeks, maybe you take one a day or one in the morning and one at night. You had people taking 10, 20, 50 pills a day, every day. And, you know, it's easy to see how that, how that becomes very dangerous very quickly. So how much money do you think is going to be involved here? Well, they're talking about $26 billion, and that depends on – right now they're sort of having an argument about how that gets split up. Is it somewhat by population? Is it by how much particular communities are impacted? How is the money going to be spent? How much of it – because, you know, there have been other big settlements, notably like the tobacco settlement, settlement with the tobacco companies over people um, being misled about how dangerous smoking was. But a lot of the money that was supposed to go towards smoking cessation programs ended up getting diverted um, by governments towards other things. So there's going to be a really hot fight over how much money goes to each locality and then how how many restrictions there are and how it gets spent. And the $26 billion will be coming from the drug companies, Big Pharma. Yeah, and this is, it, it sounds like a ton of money, but Doesn't sound uh, much I've all. seen some estimates of of you know the actual cost the actual toll of this of this epidemic of of drug addiction is much much higher so 26 billion amongst what five big companies are there i don't know how many big um pharmacy companies they are but um i mean this is not going to send them broke is it this is the problem this is probably just the, the small amount of money that they make every year Yeah, it's also paid out over a long period of time, over a period of years. So it's not like they have to write a check for $26 billion. It's, yeah, it's, it's, the whole thing is really shocking and really sad. Mm. Meanwhile, oh dear, COVID. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, I don't need to tell you what's happening in Australia. I mean, because in in Sydney and Melbourne and we're in lockdown, you've got to wear masks even when you're indoors at work. You're going to wear masks everywhere else. The US, though, thought, well, you know, our um, the uh, vaccination, which everybody should get, we've talked about it on the program this morning, that's fine. But there's what they are calling sort of, you know, an epidemic of the unvaccinated in America and masks that are sort of coming back. So what's the story across the US at the moment? Yeah, we're starting to see a resurgence of uh 
health authorities, uh, local authorities and national authorities, encouraging people to go ahead and put the mask back on because we are seeing that COVID is becoming primarily um, a disease of the unvaccinated. Uh, you see relatively very few deaths and serious illnesses among people who've had the shot. It's not that people are not contracting the virus or even that they're not getting sick. Some people are. There have been uh, cases of what's called breakthrough where even vaccinated people have gotten the virus. So all those things happen. But if you look at the number of cases that are going up um, in certain parts of the country and the number of people who are getting super sick or even dying, um, those people have not received the vaccine. And um, there was a big, big surge. And as you say, we've talked about it on this program before to get millions and millions of people in the United States vaccinated. And, uh, you know, it was a really hot business for a while, but then it dropped off. People became complacent. The people who were excited to get the vaccine got it and moved on with their lives. And the people who were hesitant or the people who didn't have easy access to a place where they could get the vaccine, yes. uh, you know, didn't have high vaccination rates. And those are the people who are really in trouble now. So if only uh, the vaccination was as easy to get as, uh, you know, the uh, um, the drugs, the opioid drugs, then uh, perhaps those rural areas would get vaccinated. But yeah, it's the same thing, you know, as I say about Australia, perhaps. I'm not talking about vaccinations now, but that sort of complacency. Oh, we've beaten it. You know, we've eliminated it. Now we'll just all get vaccinated at some point and, you know, down the down the track and we'll all be okay. Whereas here, it took one person, it took one person to spread it to someone else, to someone else, and within a month, a thousand people had it. That's how virulent this uh, particular strain of the virus is. So the ones who are unvaccinated, are they mostly, I mean, people are saying in rural areas, they're mostly in the south, but surely if, you know, they're wearing masks in the cities as well, that includes people in Los Angeles and Boston and New York and those sorts of places. Yeah, I mean, in Massachusetts, we're pretty lucky in that uh, we have a very low rate of vaccine hesitancy. People wanted the shot and they took, you know, proactive steps to get the vaccine and to get both doses of the vaccine, because except for, uh, I think, one uh, one manufacturer is a two dose shot. But yeah, there are some people who are are just not willing to get it or not able to get it. And then among some of the people who think that I hate to even say it on the air, but, you know, for people who are not convinced that COVID is as serious as we all know it is, those the people who don't want to get the vaccine might also be the same people who think it's an infringement on their civil liberties to have to wear a mask or to stay out of places uh, or stay distant from people if they're not vaccinated. So you have sort of a, a you know, a confluence of events there that causes a, a real problem for people who aren't taking this seriously. And um, it's a heavy yeah. price to pay. Although I know it's Mitch McConnell and um, that idiot on Fox News have both come out this week and said, take, you know, get the vaccination, take this uh, this vaccine. Yeah, it's finally, I think people are, are coming to realize it. And for some people, it may be realizing that, you know, they didn't take it seriously. They themselves got terribly sick. Somebody close to them got very sick or even died uh, as a result. And, you know, the other thing I would just mention very briefly is that, um, a lot of the people who are not vaccinated in the United States are children. The vaccine is not available to kids under 12. Now, kids don't apparently, apparently tend to get infected with COVID as easily as 
older people or people who are like immunocompromised uh, or, yeah. or things like that. But, um, you know, just thinking about how are we going to do this? Schools have to reopen in the fall. Uh, will kids have to wear masks or sit distant? Will they be in person all the time or will they be there, you know, uh, part of the time and then be uh, online part of the time? It, it gets really complicated. And the big, big answer to this is just please, please go get the shot. Yeah. It's not as hard to get as it was at the beginning. It's widely available. You don't have to wait. It's not going to cost you a ton of money. Just please go get it. Jen, by the way, has texted in and she said, uh, what about the doctors or drugstores? Are they going to get penalized for their oversupply? Talking back to the uh, the opioids. I think this case is mainly having to do with manufacturers. I know there are legal proceedings against some of these mm. uh, distributors. And yeah, I mean, there there's obviously, um, you know, there are criminal laws and then there are codes of conduct professional codes of conduct within medicine that would prohibit uh giving people medication they don't need over medicating them uh you know deliberately doing something that's not in the interest of somebody's health and i don't think getting somebody hooked on pain pills is in the interest of of anybody's no, health very and, much you know. so celeste katz marston is our guest in boston now you know again i find this amazing you had an angry mob storm the Capitol on January the 6th, occupy the House and the Senate, go into the Speaker's office, and there are still people kind of reluctant to have an investigation into this. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker, wants to have an investigation. The Senate, not really interested. But um, now they are putting this committee together. She's asked for the Republicans to supply some names, and they've given her two people. Well, they've given about five people, I think, but including uh, Jim Jordan is one of them, uh, who is, he's a guy trying to make a name for himself. He's trying to get in on a national ticket, I feel. Anyway, she has rejected not only him, but also Jim Banks from Indiana. Why has she said no to those two? Yeah, I, she was talking about uh, questions about their integrity. And I think that uh, has to do with some of the statements that they made around, uh, you know, the big political issues of the day, whether it was what actually happened at the Capitol on January 6th or um, whether there was widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election, which, as always, I want to emphasize that there was not. There's no evidence of that. Um, and so she said these are just people that she doesn't think should serve on the committee. She has the right to a strike, essentially, the way you would strike people from a jury. And the House Minority Leader, Republican Kevin McCarthy, of course, is now saying that he's going to take his ball and go home, that the whole thing is a political sham. And um, he doesn't think that uh, the Republicans want to be involved in that at all. So we'll, we'll see if this plays out, if it sinks the committee or if they come to an agreement or what. But it just really sort of underscores the ongoing rancor in this country over all the stuff that led up to yes. uh, the January 6th riot, which did result in people getting killed. Indeed, we should remember that. Look, you know, last week on the program, we spoke to a guest in, who was in Denver, and she was, they were smelling smoke. They had smoke from the fires in California, in Denver, which is like halfway across the countryside. I mean, that's what's happening. 3,000 miles away from these fires, you're getting smoke and all that, aren't you? It's amazing. Yeah, if you look at some of the pictures of, of New York City, it looks like smog in L.A., but it's smoke, and it's smoke from a fire in Oregon, literally 3,000 miles away, entirely on the other side of the United States, and it's just 
wild. I mean, we've been, you know, I was checking around. We haven't had like a blanket of smoke. I mean, it's not like, it's not like you're all fogged out. Like it's not London or something, but you know, there are like air quality advisories and that's really bad for people who have asthma or COPD or other breathing problems, especially coupled with really intense heat waves. Like it's just, it's sort of scary and apocalyptic to see these yeah. burning red sunsets or see like dusk at, at noon. It's, it's kind of scary. It is apocalyptic. That's a very good description of it. And finally this morning, you know, New York Harbour, Boston Harbour, you know, it's nowhere near as nice as Sydney Harbour. But nevertheless, <laughs> you will see it when you come here, Celeste. Um, okay. we, we have seaplanes. We've always had seaplanes uh, taking off from Sydney, from Rose Bay, in fact. However, seaplanes will be landing from Boston Harbour. Now, it's right on in the city. That's the thing. It is right there. It's got one of the most hideous buildings in the world right on the harbour there. I don't know what it is, a hotel or something. It's shocking. Um, <laughs> don't you think? Oh, God, it's awful. Uh, but what, tell me about the seaplane, the seaplanes in Boston Harbour. Yeah, it's this has been a long time coming. It's it, You would think that it's bizarre. I mean, these are two major uh, metropolitan areas that are on the water. You would think that you'd be able to get that kind of fast service, which is basically like 90 minutes dock to dock or door to door. But it's just been years and years and years uh, of a couple of companies fighting over who's going to get the permits and who's going to be able to do it and doing these test flights and so on. But finally now it's, uh, it's going to start, I think, in the end of August that you will be able to take your seaplane from, uh, from New York to Boston and be right in the city. Um, you know, How long it, does it, it take to fly by seaplane, do you reckon? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, under an hour and a half. I mean, if it's going to take you 90 minutes from on to off, yeah. like uh, dock to dock, as they say. So it's a it's a short flight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it certainly beats like a four or five hour train trip or standing oh, in the security what? line at Logan forever. Oh, well, yeah, yes, I, I agree four, with you there. But yeah. the, the train trip is one of the most beautiful. It's a beautiful journey. OK, you might, might not have five hours to do it. You might need to. You know, the thing is about plane flights, of course, getting from the airport's the hard part. You know, if you can just fly in, get off and be in town for your meeting or whatever or for lunch or whatever it is, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying it someday, I hope. <laughs> Let's hope it's not as expensive as flying in space. Celeste, thank you so much. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Celeste Katz-Marston in Boston.